Hey there, listeners. Well, I had an interesting interview with a lady called Tammy Rosen, who is a recognized thought leader, influencer, and a senior executive in HR. And she's worked for a whole lot of different companies like Goldman Sachs and Apple and Illumina Technologies, just to name a few. And she's the chief people officer for an organization called Pagaya. Now, what is Pagaya? Pagaya is a B2B2C financial technology company that's founded on a mission to make financial opportunities more accessible to more people by innovating traditional underwriting systems and leveraging AI, artificial intelligence, capabilities, and data. Now, Tammy and I had a fascinating discussion. It was really, really quite cool. And we talked about performance reviews and how good they are performance reviews within organizations. But, you know, Tammy talks about, it's not actually about the performance review. It's about an ongoing learning cycle. And I, I really love what she said. But also we talked about putting your hand up for opportunities and learning to say yes, but also learning to say no at times. But if you raise your hand for opportunities, you know, doors start to open and things start to happen for you. Now, the title of the episode is called A Leader's Voice Needs to Be Heard. And that leader's voice does need to be heard. And I thought it was just an appropriate kind of title for the episode. And I asked Tammy a question about her favorite leader. And she gave me actually three different leaders, which was quite cool. But then I asked her that question that if Tammy was sitting down on a bench, park bench, having a coffee with the three different leaders, what would be one question she would ask? And I got blown away by the question. And so you want to check out that as well. Two other things that we sort of covered off as well is the fact that being dedicated to learning and commit to changing is really important. But it all was very nice, all of what I've just shared, but it's about us having the big picture mindset. And that's a really, really good thing for us to think about. So listeners, a great conversation with Tammy. So sit back and enjoy the episode. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another wonderful episode here with the Leadership is Changing podcast. Great to have you here with us once again. I've got a great guest with me today. Her name is Tammy Rosen. Tammy, a massive welcome to you. Thank you so much, Dennis, for having me today. Excellent. Now, whereabouts in the world are you today? Well, I happen to be in New York, in the city. In New York. Is that where you normally reside? Well, I live in California, but I work in New York, and sometimes you find me in Tel Aviv. Tammy, I understand that your role there is that you're the chief people officer. Is that correct? Yes, I'm the chief people officer, and I help a lot with not only building out the people function, but also strategic relationships across the company. Excellent. That's excellent. Great. So you just shared with us about your role in HR. Tell us more about your background. Sure, I'd be happy to share my background. And one of the defining features of my background and constant really in life has been um, change and embracing change and creating change. You know, early days, I was born New Yorker, 
Long Islander, went to college upstate New York and came back to work in New York. Very traditional path in New York. But nine years ago, I set my path differently thanks to the support of my husband when I got a job at Apple and moved from finance to technology. And while I've worked across finance, tech, consumer internet, self-driving, SaaS, and now fintech, I've all centered around my career on people strategy and how it powers business innovation. But looking back, my career was not planned. And like many of you, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I found my passions along the way. And a lot of it was influenced by my upbringing and the values in my household of entrepreneurship, aiming big, thanks to my mom, and also having a lot of firsts and experiences that maybe others didn't have, like being the first family that had a divorce in my neighborhood or my father losing his job and having to work in flea markets so that we can eat or uh, welcoming my stepbrother who had special needs or the bravery of my sister who came out gay in the 80, early 80s in a town that was quite traditional. And all of that taught me acceptance, inclusion, resiliency, adaptability. And now if you think about my professional career, you know, starting, I didn't know where I wanted to go. And I started really my career at Goldman thinking I was going to be on the job for six months, contractor, get it. I was going to get a a partner and I was going to make some, uh, make some money and then I was going to start my own company because that's the only way you could have entrepreneurship, I thought. And then realized quickly, I'm a failed entrepreneur 17 years later at Goldman Sachs, but with an entrepreneur really building out the infrastructure for people, starting from a contract recruiter all the way to running large organizations, and then bringing my history in, helping to create the first ever ally program on Wall Street at Goldman Sachs really is something I treasure, but came from knowing that I had to help pave the way for other people. And then from there, took the leap going to Apple, really, gosh, across country, family moving with me, with the support of my husband, to really tackle that next thing that set me on a path of massive learning, change, and trials and tribulations. But each step of the way, it's always been centered around people and helping people find their passions and rethinking how HR is. And it's not just a support or a risk function. It's a function that really powers business strategy by motivating people to do their best work and hoping to pave the way for others that didn't have those paths for them before. So my North Star has always been about people, but it's always about making a difference for each of those people in the different careers that they have. That's excellent. Great. Now, tell me something. Um, we're, we're going to be talking about leadership is changing and so forth as we get into this as well. Yeah. So your background, a little bit more about that. So you... Uh, you have a husband and two children, a cat and a husky, I understand, which is already good. You're also interested in and actually helping future generation of leaders. How did you actually get into leadership yourself? How to get into leadership? Well, it's an, it's an interesting question because I think leadership happens by, in my view, really figuring out how you find those pain points that are happening around you and solving problems and gaining mm. expertise. And taking that initiative and ambition to actually do the things that people don't want to do. And a lot of times when you're growing up in your career, you're kind of hired to do a certain job. And then there's things that people ask you to do. And you're like, wait, should I do those things or not? They're not really an additive to my, my job. But when you do them, you gain these crazy experiences that no one else would have. And, and that kind of frames it. And once you have all these experiences and you're known as a problem solver, opportunities present themselves. So my first real leadership role came at Goldman Sachs, where I was just a contract recruiter. And 
there was a lot of opportunity being the first technical recruiter in the technology division where people didn't know how to do different things like build a database for people data. And they asked someone to do it. And I raised my hand and they said, I'll do it. And in, I didn't know how to use business objects or to code, but I taught myself how to do that and created this people data, which really helped me to understand a more broad subset of things. And then over time, I now can recruit and I could also do data work. And then I got asked to do other things. And as I started to take initiative, more initiative came my way. And I was able to start thinking about leading and, and taking on different roles, like not only being a recruiter, but you know, running generalists or, or recruiting teams. That's great. And I really love what you're sharing there because there's a few things I just want to pick up on and maybe dive a little bit deeper with you. And that is, you know, people sometimes ask you to do things that are not even a part of your scope of your role or what you've actually been brought in to do. How do you say no to people? How, do you, how does someone say, no, I don't want to do that or I can't, I'm not doing that because I've already got enough on my own workload? How, how do they do that? How does someone say no? Well, I think it's, you know, a good colleague and mentor once told me that if you said yes to everything, then your wheelbarrow would be too big, it would fall over, and you would not get anything done well. So you have to be very careful about maybe it's saying, you know, not now versus no. And it's, and it's giving that sense of, well, what's the problem they're trying to solve? Why do they need you to do it? And then when can you do it for them? And maybe it's not at that moment, but it could be later or you can help advise them. So it's not always like, no, that's not what I can do. And I think a lot of people look at their roles and they say, this is what I'm supposed to do and this is what I'm not supposed to do. And I think you have to be more expansive about it and, and see where you can advise versus do and where you can do it later maybe. Yeah, I, I love that because I think you're right. It's it's about like, I've been working with someone recently and he said to someone where they said, can you do the work? And he was already overwhelmed. So it was a Wednesday. So what he turned around and said is, I can do it, but I won't be able to get to it until Tuesday. And the person went, oh, oh, that's okay. Then oh, no problem. I'll find another way. Okay, cool. <laughs> and so it was him actually saying no without saying no. And uh, it was actually very well done. So yeah, what you just said there is exactly what, what actually happened there. Now, the other part is, though, okay, so sometimes we might be able to say no without saying no to people because we've already got a lot on. And I love yep. the analogy you just used about the wheelbarrow being full and you you know won't be able to do everything. But you also said about the fact that we should raise our hands as well and volunteer to do things or pick up things as well. As a leader, is that important that we actually do put up our hands or that we do recognize people in our teams that do put their hands up as well and volunteer to do things? Well, I think it's important as a leader to demonstrate the behaviors you want others to have. So if you are helping another colleague or you are pick, you're saying, I'll help you do that or I'll do something that's not in my scope, you're showing other people that they can also do that too. And it's important to be collaborative and a team player at times and sometimes do things that maybe aren't part of your KPIs or, or work product in order in service for the greater good of the team. And sometimes, to your point, it's saying no. So you have to teach, I think, as a leader, when to say no and when to say yes. And both are super important. Oh, absolutely. And absolutely. And I think it's also whereby if you do put your hands up to go and do something, and it might be outside of your KPIs and things like that, but that's where you go over and above to what your role is. 
nothing more interesting than in performance review times and people are like well what do you mean i'm not a high achiever well you actually didn't do this but i did this and this and that but that's what your job is and it's actually getting them to understand what their role is versus going well over above on a consistent basis not just a one-off thing either so it's quite interesting discussions around performance review time yeah well i'd love to talk about performance review time because i'm i'm of the belief that performance reviews and the way they are today are are really archaic hmm. and do not really encourage people to learn or grow or to be able to be more successful in their career. So if it is archaic, then what should people do today around it? So I'd love to throw out the current versions of performance review, which I have at many companies, and look at it more as a continuous learning cycle hmm. and, and really think about what is most important, which is understanding what I've accomplished in the last three to six months what am I setting out to accomplish in the next three to six months? What have I learned, both good and bad? And what support do I need from my manager? And having that commitment and alignment with your manager and a bi-directional conversation will craft everything around learning, which includes feedback, but is not structured to be only about what you did and what you didn't do. Right, right. People yeah. learn by collaboration learning. They don't learn by you telling them, I did this or you did that. Yeah, I agree. So I think what you've actually just shared there is what a good performance management review is, where a lot of leaders don't do it and they don't do it well. And the reason they don't do it well is because it hasn't been done well to them in the past. And so they've seen it and it's not been that great. So I think that's what it is. You can label it whatever you like, but I, I totally agree with you. It's about learning and moving on with things. But also there's this other piece too, Tammy, which is there should be no surprises, right? Because if you're doing what you're just been saying about the continuous learning and building on that, there should be no surprises when it comes to the six-month, 12-month, whatever review time, because we've already been discussing things. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. But I think if you, if you set up a conversation where people have a safe space to learn and not be you know, wondering what that conversation is going to yield, whether it's going to be compensation or promotion, but it's more in service of making them better. And you're having those constant conversations all the time and those, those agreements together of what you're going to do and then debriefing when things are done so that you can then take those learnings and move them forward mm. will help people to, to model that behavior regardless of what tool you use, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter what tool you use. Who, who cares about the tool, right? It's, it's, as you're saying, it's really important for our those conversations. And I also, the other thing I really like what you're saying was that it's a dialogue. It's not just a one-way thing that this is what you've done well and this is what you don't do well. It has to be a two-way because that's really where people learn most from those kind of conversations. Tammy, you, you know, if this person could be a liable from history. And so the question I've got for you is, who's your favorite leader and why? Yeah, that's a great question. And I have a couple. And I think I, I really, I, I would go with kind of three exceptional women that really have sort of imprinted on me, you know, some of the values of what true leadership is. And the first one is Harriet Tubman. And I learned early in my grade school about her bravery and her selfless devotion to freedom, not only being a slave that herself was freed, but then helping others through the Underground Railroad to get to freedom. And she could have just easily just freed herself. But what she did was set her life to help others. And that's been something that has really motivated me in my career. And she did in a great diverse, uh, adversity. And she'd probably say that she didn't do enough 
Mm. And that she didn't, but yet she did so much. And that humbleness and that, you know, fortitude and resiliency is something I really respect. And the second one is Madeleine Albright. As the first female U.S. Secretary of State, I had the fortune of meeting her in a very small group when I was at Goldman Sachs. And what was great about her is her humility, also her resilience and authenticity, and her commitment to giving back to other women and really helping them grow their careers and showing the importance of having a voice. She told this wonderful story that she was at the UN for the first time. And after the UN meeting, the president came up to her and said, Madeline, you didn't say a word. And she said, well, you know, I'm just getting my footing. I'm just trying to learn. I don't want to say anything wrong. And the president said, Madeline, if you don't speak, the U.S. is not heard. And she said, got it. And she said, I've got to get over myself as a leader, and I have to speak so the U.S. can be heard. And she tells that story, and it was one that spoke to me, and I've always helped and thought about that, is that I have to help other women have their voice too. Mm. And then the last one is Michelle Obama. And I think a lot of people pick Michelle. But the reason I pick her is because she shows such authenticity and humanness. And she shows that you could make mistakes and do things wrong, but then learn from them. And then the final thing that really resonates for me is her famous statement, when they go low, you go high. And reason is, you know, in life, and I've taken this to heart, there will be people that will make the wrong decisions and do the wrong things. And forgiveness is the most important thing, even if it hurts you so much, but to always do the right thing for them, even if they're doing the wrong thing. Yeah, I like it. They go low, you go high. I think it's really, really good. It's about you lifting your, your thoughts, your, your, the way you are, the way you respond, everything is really important. And I think it's really important nowadays in the sense that there's so much noise out there. There's so much going on that we definitely need to look at that. So here's a question too for you in relation to those three ladies that you've just shared, which is brilliant, all three of them. If you were sitting on a park bench, and I normally ask if you were sitting on with one of them, but what happens if you were sitting with all three? If all there was, yeah, and you're all four, four of you were sitting there having a coffee, would there be one question you want to ask all of them? One question I want to ask all of them. How did they, they keep the energy to keep going after their dream? Awesome question. Awesome. Yeah, because I think that's, that's really, really important. Energy is a big thing for a lot of leaders, and it doesn't matter what level you're at. I think energy is huge. And so, Tammy, I've got a question for you. How do you keep your energy going as a leader? You know, I, I'm someone who's very high energy, and I, I'm built on optimism, and I always feel like there's always, there's always a solution to every problem. And my mother taught that to me really early, and she always said, you know, aim high, and you could always solve the problems if you, if you find them. Sometimes they're just not in plain sight, but they'll come to you. So I keep my energy in always looking at how do you make it better, and how do you influence and help others have a better outcome? Mm. And I take a lot of that from the women I admire, like Harriet Tubman and Madeleine Albright and Michelle, because it's my role to sort of pave the way for others and, and make it better for them where maybe it wasn't easy. And, and I think that's really cool what your mum shared there with you and the fact that if you keep at it, keep going, a solution is always going to come in front of you. And may not always be packaged the way that we might think it's going to, we would like it to come, but a solution will come to you if you give it time. 
And I think the brain is really, really powerful in what we do because if we give the brain time and we slow down and we breathe, we drink water, take it easy, things will come to us in time. Yeah. And influence and help others to get the, get an outcome. That's spot on as well. Uh, really cool. I think that'll be a great conversation to have with the, the, the three ladies if you've ever had that chance. I mean, it, was, it would have been great. Now, the show here is called Leadership is Changing. And when I say that statement, that yeah. title of the show, yep. what does that mean for you? So I was really thrilled to be asked to be part of this, this podcast because I couldn't agree more that leadership is changing. And as a leader, it's not just beneficial for change. It's sort of vital. The dynamic nature of leadership requires us always to be in learning mode mm. and adapting and evolving. And the times will be it, the companies you're at, the people you're with, and you have to evolve. And it's exciting because you get to reconsider old paradigms and welcome new perspectives and to innovate and to tap curiosity and learning and and really make something different than what it was before. So to me, like... Being a leader is synonymous with being an advocate for change, and you have to guide your teams through a lot of inevitable uncertainties, especially now, and foster that change and adaptability and resilience and your own willingness to change mm. so that they understand it. And there's so much going on in the markets and so much is going on internal to companies. And as leaders, we have to change to fit those needs to support those employees through those different things. And, you know, as a leader, my journey of learning and growth is never truly over. <laughs> and I think I have to help others realize that, too, that change is something that's good and, and something to embrace and offers opportunity. Yeah. I mean, if we didn't have to change, it would have been really good. But the thing is that <laughs> change is happening so often and so much around us. It's constant. And so we are having to change as well. But your own willingness to change, as you said, is very, very important because you don't have to change if you don't want to, listeners. But you know what? If you're stuck... Don't be surprised if you get left behind because everything else is going to be moving forward. And so your willingness to be able to change is great. We don't always like it. We don't mind doing changes and overall change or helping others change. But when it comes to us personally, oh, that's it's a little bit different. And I don't want to do that as well. Now, Tammy, you and I live in a world that's fast-paced. Whether we talk about data, whether we talk about business, social, yep. technology, and as it gets faster and faster every single year, quarter, things like that, a leader in today's world, in that fast-paced, ever-changing world, what do they need to do to be successful? So I think they have to, I mentioned this before, be authentic and honest and, and true to themselves and also continue to evolve. You know, having sort of that big picture mindset where you understand where you're going so you can help guide people through it is super important. And then people always say this about me, that I never take no for an answer. I just say not now. And I think you have to demonstrate that perseverance in motivating your teams to overcome obstacles and encourage people to achieve goals that they don't even expect that they can achieve. And, and then really dedicate yourself to learning for yourself, for your team, for your company. That commitment to always feeling like you're changing and that you're willing to change Everybody says they want to be a learner. When you talk to people, they say, yes, I love to learn. But learning's hard. Learning means accepting something you don't know how to do and actually experiencing maybe some failure so that you can pick yourself up again and do it again. 
uh, try again or try something different. So I think those are key things to what makes a successful leader in these times is really having a big picture mindset, not taking no for an answer and demonstrating perseverance and dedicating yourself to learning. Yeah. Now that learning piece as well, I think is really important in the fact that yeah, you could go to a workshop, you could watch, listen to a podcast like this, or you could read a book and so forth. Yeah. But is that learning or is it when you actually apply it, when you actually do something with it? Well, I think that's when you apply it. Those are the easy ways that people know to learn. Mm. I kind of use an example of learning. I, I don't know about you, but I'm a skier and I'm a good skier, not the best skier, but I can pretty much go around the mountains. But if someone said to me tomorrow, I want you to be a snowboarder, I'd be a little bit scared because it's a very different <laughs> way of coming down the mountain. And I know to learn to be a snowboarder, I'm going to have to have two, three weekends of total humbleness of falling and bruising and getting it wrong. And maybe, just maybe, I could go down the bunny hill after a week or two. But once you really learn it and you put your time into it and you can do that and also snowboard, you've then now given yourself that much extra opportunity and, and tools in your toolkit. But it takes you know, really being humble and, and willing to fail. I love that analogy in the sense that it's, it's, you do, you do fall down and so forth. Do I ski? Well, you probably use skis and you've got these sticks that you use and so forth. I use, just use my butt. I don't, I, I don't ski. I just fall over all the time. I don't, I don't even bother. But the thing is, is the snowboarding, as you say, there's going to be no sticks there. There's just one, one ski, which is, which is the board is totally different. So we'll put you out of your comfort zone, as you say, but then you fall down, get up, fall down, get up, learn and so forth. But isn't it beautiful when it clicks, when you do learn and it's just a beautiful thing? And then and then this is what you just said as well, then you give yourself more opportunity. And so listeners, I think that's brilliant what Tammy's just said there, because the thing here is this, is that as you go through things and we and, and we learn and it's hard at the time and when you're in the midst of it, you're sort of trying to cope. But when it clicks, it's great. But once you've got it, it opens up so many more doors. It gives you so much more opportunity. And Timmy, I love the way you just said that. I think that's brilliant. Yeah, it's good. Thank you. Mm. Now, you and I have been talking through uh, about leadership through the lens of a leader. If we were to change lens or change gears or change perspectives and think about from an employee's perspective now, what are employees' expectations or how has employees' expectations of leaders changed? You know, employee, employees' expectations of leaders definitely has evolved over time. And I do think there's certain elements that are still kind of the same. I think, you know, we could all talk about they want somebody who inspires them, that coaches them, that mentors them, that gives them opportunity, challenges them. But I think in these times post-pandemic and, you know, in the current financial state that we're in, I think employees are looking for more transparency in the work environment and understanding about the major decisions are being made in the strategic direction of the company and, and how they can help support and connect to it and be part of that problem solving that everyone is doing and not be sitting on the sidelines. They want to be part of the solution. And that's something I think that has definitely changed. And in this like fast-paced environments that we've been in, they're also looking to learn and how to be more agile and to pivot and they want their leaders to help them to do that and to navigate, even in these crazy uncertain times. Like, look, I was part of many crises in my career, including 2008. You know, and I take it for granted that where I was in my career and what I needed from my leaders and what I expected, 
And a lot of it is communication and connection and, and really helping them to understand that this too will pass and this will help you grow your career and learn if you embrace it versus be feared, fear it, right? And I think that's what employees are expecting of leaders is to help them be that navigator for them, teach them how to work through uncertainty, give them a transparent environment and connect them to problem solving, and then help them learn through it so that they can get better. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, the way I say it as well is that, you know, they want to rock. They want somebody who's strong and solid. So then they can be on the coattails of that person to learn and to help pull them up as well. It's that saying, right? When the tide rises, all boats rise. And I think that's the important thing here is to be able to do that. But if you, uh, this too will pass if you embrace it. And if you've got to embrace it, you've got to take it on head on as well, which is really important. Now, I'm going to get you to get your crystal ball out here and think about the future. And if you were going to think about the future here, where do you see leadership being in five years? Yeah, it's a great, great question. I think leadership for the future has to really, and I've talked a lot about this on the podcast already, prioritize learning and development and fostering that culture that adapts and thrives and change. And really not only help people to understand where they can deliver their passions, but also connect people. And now that we're in more distributed workplaces, some companies are more remote than others. You know, human connection is, is key. And as leaders, we have to find different mediums and modalities to connect to our people, whether it's video, in-person, emails, you name it. We have to find those different ways of doing it. And, and as leaders, we have to pivot and navigate that for our people and connect them to the missions that we're after. So I see leadership having to be a lot more nimble and a lot more agile and think about different ways in which we connect with our people to help them learn and grow and deliver. Now, I don't know about in the US, but also I'm going to ask about Israel as well, but I'm also seeing it in other countries. Is it organizations that you know of, are they still finding it hard to bring people back into the office after the lockdowns and things like that? You know, I've heard it from many. Look, I, I've been fortunate to have helped one of my past companies create their future of work called Team Anywhere and, and help some other companies think it through. And I happen to be at Pagaya where we believe in a in-person culture with flexibility. And I think that is really where I think the world is going because as a scaling startup, we need to have that exchange that moves fast when you're in person and connect. But we also need to afford people that opportunity to have that flexible environment to work. So for us, we haven't had that challenge of bringing people back into the workplace. But all my colleagues are having that challenge because people are really enjoying finding their best places to do their best work. And that doesn't always mean sitting in an office with other yep. people. And I think that that habit's going to be a hard one to mm. break. And I think a lot of companies are struggling on what is the way to do it. And my opinion is that each company needs to look at what their values are and how they want to work. And the where is just another piece to that pie. And it shouldn't drive the how you want to yeah, work. I agree. And I think that the habit is going to be hard to break because it has become a habit, right? Two, three years. It's, it's definitely. And it was like we were yanked out quickly and put into the home sort of working environment. And it was sort of harsh. But everyone sort of had to embrace it and so forth. And not everyone enjoyed it. But I like what you say, an in-person culture with flexibility. And that's how it should be in the sense that, here we go, here's an example of a leader that I worked with a few years ago who was guilty and feeling that, that feeling guilty 
and actually leaving the office on a Thursday afternoon at four o'clock, even though he was doing 80-hour weeks, to go and watch his two kids go and swim. It's like, come on, man. That's what life's about. It's about family and about people around you and that. And if we can't go off to go and do that kind of stuff, then then what's the point? And so if we can have that flexibility to be able to go and do those kind of things, yeah, it's it's great. And I like it as well because I have another friend who, it was an observation I made with him and it was like, the best time that you actually create and you're just really on fire is when he's working in cafes. And I don't know whether it's the caf, the coffee, but it might be the coffee, I don't know. But I think it's the hustle and bustle that's around him. He likes that. And so he's, he's just very, very creative when he's doing that. But when he's not, he's not at his game, which is interesting to see. Yeah, and I think companies really need to think about what, what is the best way to get work done and then decide, is that in the office? Is that in the office, not in the office? Where is it asynchronous? Where is it synchronous? And that's hard because it's different for every company yeah. and also employees. And, and then employees need to decide what works best for them and then pick those companies that really align with those values. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. If it doesn't align with, your, align with your values, then you really need to think about where you're working. Yeah, for sure. Tammy, hey, it's been a real pleasure talking with you today on today's episode of the Leadership's Changing Podcast. If our guests are wanting to get a hold of you, where can they go? The best way would probably be through LinkedIn. Yep. Okay, cool. And we'll put that in listeners into the show notes. Uh, you'll be able to see Tammy's link to her profile on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. But Tammy, once again, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. There you go, listeners. Well, if you can have an in-person culture with flexibility, but also make sure that you aim high and always know that you can solve a problem. And if you can influence others and help them get their outcomes, then you can become a very strong leader. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Leadership is Changing podcast. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 